You are listening to Creatively Speaking, presented by Showcase, the first professional social network designed specifically for marketers. Find work, find talent, build teams, and win business. This is Deborah Carney, the Senior Director of Marketing at Showcase. In this episode, I chat with Jim Lukashevsky, America's crisis guru, crisis counselor to leaders in management, and inspirational speaker. Jim tells us when it's time to call in a crisis guru, the key ingredients you need for a crisis plan, what is the difference between leadership versus management, and much, much more. Take a listen, then connect with Jim on Showcase. Jim Lukashevsky, thank you so much for joining Showcase Presents Creatively Speaking podcast. Um, Yeah, so America's crisis guru, you're a crisis counselor to leaders in management, an inspirational speaker, and an author. Wow, we are really honored to have you today. Um, So you have a book, and Corporate Legal Times has listed you as one of 22 crisis counselors to have in your speed dial when all hell breaks loose. Um, I'm honored to have you speaking with me today. Um, your, Your book, Lukashevsky on crisis communication, what your CEO needs to know about reputation, risk, and crisis management. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about that book? Sure. Um, the book was, came out in 2013. Um, it was At the time, it was one of the, the top 25 business books released that year out of like 25,000 that came out. So it's kind of neat. The book is, they wrote the book because I've been doing this a long, long time, and the most of the stuff that, that I see written about crisis communications is mostly about communications, and which makes sense. Um, but the issue in my career has been devoted primarily to working with leaders who are in trouble because um, you, you actually can't fix a crisis unless you fix the leaders who are in, responsible for the issues uh, that are happening in an organization. So uh, most of my career has really been working with very senior people, operating people in organizations um, to get them to change their behaviors and think through the problems that, they, that they're facing. So the book is really about that. It begins in talking about, talking about how leaders behave, um, the, the things that you can expect from them in these crisis situations. Um, and, um, but the book is fi- primarily focused on uh, something quite different from what most communicators, and that is um, I define crisis this way. I define crisis as a people-stopping, show-stopping, product stopping, reputationally redefining event that breaks trust and creates victims and or explosive visibility. The operative word there being victims. For whatever reason, in most uh, crisis response situations, um, especially in corporations and things, we tend to think of the, the, the communications aspects and what the media is going to do. But what drives crisis really is the creation of victims. And it's the victims who generate the visibility. It's the victims who generate the emotion. It's the victims who, who create the press and public interest in these circumstances. And by and large, um, people who go to management school these days don't take a course in victim management. But you get the course in victim management from this book, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of victims is really, really central to the idea. When, when you think about it, it makes just enormous sense um, that these people have enormous power and they dominate the news, they dominate people's thinking, and they dominate the circumstances. So um, when you talk about dealing in crisis, I'm really talking about circumstances where there actually are victims created. Does this make sense? Yeah, yeah, wow, that's a good way to look at it. Um, Okay, so 
that's one book. Now you have another book, um, best-selling book, Why Should the Boss Listen to You? The Seven Disciplines of the Trusted Strategic Advisor. Um, mm -hmm. Can you share with us these seven disciplines or maybe a couple? Well, actually, um, the, the, this, this book was written um, and actually came out in 2008. I actually have a, a revision of the book, a second edition coming out probably at the end of 2017. Oh, wow, that's um, exciting. Yep, and um, I'm actually going to change the title. It's going to be called How to Become a Number One, Number Two, so to speak, huh. because it's designed for the people who are who are not necessarily leaders themselves, but they are the people who advise leaders mm -hmm. and stand very close to them, so to speak. The first book came about because I, because of the work that I do, I, I'm, I'm always in the room when big decisions are being made and that sort of stuff, and I get to see a lot of people give advice to, to important people in trouble. And it just struck me uh, early in my career, you know, why is it that the room is always filled with people, but the boss only listens to a handful? Right. Why, why does he or she listen to those people? So I began to really focus on these more successful individuals, um, and successful meaning more influential uh, and more important. And so that's where this book really came from. It's a business book about how people who advise leaders can do it more effectively in general. Um, be, whether it's a crisis situation or not. And so the, de the seven disciplines are really quite, uh, quite sensible. Being trustworthy is the first one. You have to be trusted to be able to work with people. Um, being um, a verbal visionary, which we'll be talking about later, is the second one. Be leaders lead, generally speaking, by what they say, not so much about what the, by they, what they write or those sorts of things, but by leadership, by behavior, and by talking. And in order to influence these people effectively, you have to be a pretty effective talker mm -hmm. yourself. The third, the third one is developing a management perspective. You know, the, the, the first rule in effective, uh, effectively advising managers, no matter what your personal discipline happens to be, it could be communications, it could be human resources, it could be engineering, it could be um, um, uh, human resources. You know, you have to look at the problems that leaders face as, as management problems first before there are any other kind of problem. And the most effective people who advise senior people when they're in trouble come at the problems that the senior people are facing from the senior leadership perspective as opposed to saying, you know, oh, the media is going to do this, so let's do that. Well, you know, that isn't the first concern of a leader in trouble, what the media is going to do, for example. So this, the basic principle I follow to begin with um, has, is this notion of having a business perspective to start with, or an organizational perspective, let's say. The fourth one is to think strategically. And being strategic, I think, is dramatically misunderstood. Being a strategist means that you, you think differently about everything intentionally every time. The greatest virtue of a strategist is to be inconsistent. Mm. I mean, what the boss wants to hear is something new, not the same old junk he's heard from you as a staff person, right. you know, year after year, month after month. But, you know, we resist that. In fact, in organizations, you know, one of the, one of the great um, criticisms of people is, you know, you know, Mary, she's really smart about things, but you know what? She's kind of inconsistent. Well, hey, in strategy, that's how you solve problems, not by doing it the old way more frequently, but by doing it new ways, different ways, maybe, you know, very disruptive ways, so to speak. Um, <clears throat> the fifth ingredient is to be a window to tomorrow. And what I mean by that is this. Crises, which is my business, as well as all other kinds of business activities, really follow patterns. And I don't, I don't remember where I learned this, but, but if you begin to look at events as patterns, you really have enormous insight from the very beginning. 
because you, you begin to actually know why things happened, what the likely impact are going to be if they're happening again. So you kind of know what the future holds. And what would, a, what would a leader like to know more than anything when these situations, you know, go into the dumpster? They want to know what's going to happen tomorrow. So if you are a pattern person, if you can think about the events as they're going to happen, because they've happened before generally, new things are very rare in this world, including crises issues. So, you know, we have a basis of knowledge already. And that's where the, that's actually where the crisis guru thing came from years ago, because I, 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 I would tell people, look, I, I think I, know, I can tell you what's going to happen with some reliability. I'm going to make mistakes because, you know, you're a shoe company and I've, I've seen this happen to the steel company. But, you know, here's what I think is probably likely to occur. But here's the date, just so you know, I'm going to be wrong half the time. But here's the real scary part. I'm going to be right half the time <laughs> and things are going to be better. So uh, this this concept of thinking in, in pattern uh, circumstances and looking for the things that are likely to happen based on what we, what we know that have happened already makes you a person of the future, a person of tomorrow. And the other reason this is important is because all leaders really are people of tomorrow. They, they, their job of leadership really is. The difference between a leader, for example, and a manager is that a manager is hired and the good ones are the ones designed, their life is committed to making the plan work. Whatever you budget, whatever you hypothesize, whatever you, you plan to do, their job is to work inside the box and get it done. The leader's job, however, is extremely different. The leader's job is to go out of, over the horizon, out of the box, over the horizon, and pick new destinations, new places for us to go to. So they can then come back and tell us where we're headed which which allows all of us in the box to figure out how our part plays in getting to where the new destinations are. That's the difference in leadership. It's outside the box entirely. It's really where we're going to be. What are the destinations we need to achieve? What are the endpoints we're looking for? And it's up to those of us in the box, the managers, to figure out how we make those things happen. It's very interesting. So this concept of you know being a person of tomorrow is very important. The the the, the seventh. I'm sorry, the sixth discipline is to advise constructively. And there I actually teach a methodology for giving advice. And the reason that's important is because, um, you know, most of us in staff functions um, think differently than people in management functions. And that's important because we have, you know, HR has its unique uh, capacities and, and information. Communications does, that sort of thing. So, but we have to learn how to give advice in a management context because managers learn to be what I call um, process thinkers. And most of us in staff positions are, we're really kind of um, intuitive thinkers. We, we, we snap to judgments, we snap to th information we give, and there's no necessary rationale for what we do. It's just that we know the answer because we do. Well, people who run things like evidence, you know, <laughs> they like a little proof. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they want the data. And so, you know, if you can't provide that, it's it's a problem for people to understand what you're talking about, as smart, as bright as you might be. So the, the, this, the discipline about thinking in terms of being uh, being um, um, constructively is, is shaping advice, and it's based on really one fundamental principle, and that is that staff functions and those who give advice their job is not to, they, they, you know, we tend to call ourselves solution finders, but actually, in reality, what we really are are option providers. That is, we, we provide management with different possible courses of action from which they will choose the result. 
And most most staff disciplines, as I mentioned, this is um, HR, security, law, um, uh, strategic planning, communications. We tend to look at ourselves as being the source of solutions to business problems, but the reality is the person who's running the place and is paid to do that is the one who really wants to make the want to make the decisions. So the key ingredient here is to suggest smaller things and smaller steps that the boss could do next, for example, that would help move toward resolution of an issue or finding a real solution to a problem. And from the standpoint of giving advice, this is really important because you know, big ideas and and silver bullets and stuff like that, big solutions are really hard even for the senior season management to come by. But if, if our job in helping these piece, people make progress is to give simple, sensible, constructive, positive suggestions or options about what they might do, they then def- are able to fill the management function that they were hired to do, which is to make decisions and, you know, find the solutions. So this chapter is really about how you do that. It, and it is a very specific process for giving advice. It's very interesting how this is done and how important and powerful it is. And finally, um, the seventh discipline is to show the boss how to use telling them to do. Uh, so often we give advice, but we, we sort of stop there and figure that the boss knows how to do it. And um, it's a really important attribute to be able to help them understand what you're telling them and how to put it to use. So very practical book, very powerful book, actually. Wow. Yeah, it sounds like something everyone in business should definitely pick up for sure. Uh, thanks for going through that, Jim. So uh, you mentioned a couple of topics that we're going to dive a little bit deeper into. Uh, crisis, strategy, and leadership. So let's let's go into to, uh, the topic of crisis for a minute. So when is it time to call in a crisis guru such as yourself? I think the, you know the answer is you talked about a little bit earlier, and that is essentially when there are victims, and there are three kinds of victims in this world: people, animals, and living systems. That's you know somebody's forest, somebody's backyard, somebody's um, you know uh, environment they love. Um, when those things are adversely affected. You need somebody who really has this sense of, of dealing with the victim issues because that's what's going to dominate um, how this whole situation gets resolved. And I essentially ha- <clears throat> teach a, a process I call the grand strategy, which has five elements to it, uh, which you can apply to all crises, the situation with their victims. The, 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 the quickly, the five steps are, first of all, stop the production of victims. But whatever you're doing, if it's leaking, foamy, thinking, burning, you know, stop it. Mm-hmm. Um, the second step in this five-step process is to, you know, is to essentially tend to the victim issues, manage the victim dimension, again, because they're the ones who drive the visibility. They're the ones who drive the confusion. They're the ones who have so much power in this circumstance. Um, to ignore them, which is what often happens, um, is to really you know, put yourself in a much different situation going down the road. The, se- the third step in the process is very interesting. I call it internal communication. All communication in crisis situations should begin internally. Why? Because, um, you know, if you if you try to talk to the outside exclusively, um, and you're the perpetrator, who are they going to believe? You? Probably not. They're going to call people that know. Who knows? The people in your organization know. They're going to call all kinds of folks, and if the responsible folks are, oh, I don't want to never tell me anything. You know, I don't think that's going to argue well for good for for a good result, whether it's the victims we're talking about or the public. You want to always talk inside the organization first because it always gets out. It just always gets out. Um, it's more complicated than that, but, but that's the simple part. The fourth step is 
to inform those who now have a problem because you do. These are business partners, maybe people whose components are used in your products, people who, who associate with you and now are going to essentially have a problem because you've got a problem. And the fifth and final step is what I call managing the, uh, the self-appointed and the self-anointed. This is the new media, the old media, and that sort of thing. And the key thing to remember about these five steps is this is what you're going to do in the first hour of your response. The first hour, I'll give you even two hours to get the, all of these five things underway. The failure in most crises is that they spend a lot of time sitting around trying to sort things out and doing nothing. Mm -hmm. And the result is, you know, that is an extremely serious problem going forward. So this, this, this what I call grand strategy is something you can always do. Um, and it gives you, it, it solves a big problem for you. You know, the, the, most, the most useful, the most usual Criticism of crisis response is they didn't act fast enough. They didn't talk soon enough. Well, you know, if you've done a crisis in your life, you understand that that is actually not really that possible simply because, you know, in the early moments of crisis, you don't actually know what happened. You have little information. But if you have strategy like I'm talking about, now you can talk about immediately what it is you're going to do, what you're looking for, what the likely outcomes are going to be, those sorts of things right away. And, you know, in, my, in, in, in the business of crisis management, silence is the most toxic strategy. It's toxic to reputation. It's toxic to the leadership, to the future of the leaders of an organization. And the reason is also very simple. There is no way you can rationally explain why you didn't talk, whether it's for an hour or half a day or whatever. There's just no excuse for not talking, especially when there are victims. Okay. So we just don't accept it. Which is why in most, uh, even, even mild crisis situations these days, the CEO is the first person to be fired. It's just, they don't fire the PR people, they don't fire the staff people, they fire the top person. It's much easier that way. So even, uh, Jim, even if like, you are guilty of doing something, it's, are you saying it's better to admit your guilt than just to be silent altogether? Well, it's better to talk about what you're going to be doing that preserves and protects and defends what's happening to victims. That's what we're talking about. Right. That's, so it's better to go forward. Because sometimes you see those airplanes that they go down, but instead of um, talking about the negative, they always talk about the positive, what they're going to be doing to the victims, you know, for help for the victims' families going forward. And that, that's what they should talk about yeah. Uh, yeah. going forward. And, and in the process of doing, having this kind of conversation, um, you basically are able, it's much more comfortable to talk about the things that are uncomfortable um, mm -hmm. going forward because they're, those are what the questions are going to be about anyway. But right, how can you help going forward? Is, yeah. What do people care about? They really don't care about, even they don't even care about the guilt so much. They only care about the guilt of a, of a perpetrator if that perpetrator is denying it, is delaying talking about it, you know, or is being quiet. Then there's going to be... You know, as they say, and you mentioned at the very beginning, there's going to be hell to pay for somebody, and it's going to be the people leading the organization. So, say um, someone didn't have your crisis plan in action; they were quiet, and now they're in they're in a deep hole. How can they get themselves out of something such as that? The funny thing about about my five part strategy is, the moment you start doing those five things, things get better really fast. Okay. Um, so there, it isn't so much that there's a special technique if you're deep in a hole. You're already deep in a hole if you, you know, if you killed somebody. If you, hurt right. somebody, if you got if there you... in the first place, right? <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's, it's bad. And frankly, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, but it gets better more, it gets better more rapidly 
when um, you know when you do the things you're expected to do. You know, people first call me. I I, I ask them, have you called the insurance company? Because that matters. Mm-hmm. Um, have you called you know an attorney who can help you advise you in these circumstances? You know, you're talking to me and people like me. That's a good thing to do. Um, and you know, have you talked to your mother? And <laughs> but the fact is, the first person an executive calls when they're in trouble is their mom. Mm. And I'd have to tell you, mothers are really interesting people in this circumstance when it comes to crisis situations. And the funny thing is, you know, that's why when I when somebody calls me, I never have to ask them what were you thinking, because I know they've already talked to their mother, and that was her first question: What were you thinking? Well, they're usually dead honest. I mean, when my kids come to me, I'm dead honest with them. <laughs> Actually, I tell I tell them they, I tell them you listen to your mom and do what she tells you right away, because things will get better by tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> Uh, it sounds sort of silly, but I have to say, you know, if people, uh, uh, the, the executives I work with, one of the things I always try to find out and learn about is their parents. But this has been heavily, that is very well understood, that very, very important people generally are closer to their mothers than their fathers. Um, this includes female leaders as well. So it's it's interesting to talk about this because, you know, there are, there are issues here in crisis and leadership that seem, you know, sort of um, out of the ordinary. But this is one of the most important understanding the relationships of leaders with other with them, with their family members, their mothers, especially uh, is an insight into how they're going to perform during these situations going forward. Hmm. That's really interesting information. Hmm. Yep. Actually, you know, I, I don't consider myself, and they, they call me, like, I actually have, you know, the crisis guru is, is actually a, uh, a, um, a, um, a trademark for me. But the, the real issue is I really consider myself a management anthropologist. Mm. Um, my job is to figure out um, the motivations for these individuals, why they're going to make the decisions they are, talk about them with them, and help them make better decisions going forward. Um, because in the end, it's going to be it's going to be really the courage of the person running the place, or his successor, her successor, and they get these situations resolved. And I have to say, I learned this from a wonderful guy in New York. His name is uh, uh, Fred Garcia. He has a wonderful firm in New York. But I worked with Fred for many years, and this is his concept originally. But I really do think this is important when you're working with very senior people. Um, it's different than just being having an expertise in what the media is going to do. Yeah. Um, do you also have a background in sociology? I'm just curious. I have a background. I just have a varied uh, set of work experiences over a lifetime. Um, I do have a bachelor's degree in political public relations from years and years ago. But basically, I've been a student of other human beings for my entire life, especially yeah. those trouble. Yeah, just with that mom comment, it, it just seemed like the sociology of people come to come I into play. No, the fact is, I the only I only work with smart people. I mean, it's only smart people who get in, who cause trouble enough to get people's attention. Uh-huh. So, you know, it may sound like when you listen to the bankers in two thousand eight, they they kind of sounded like you know this is all concocted in the mailroom. But I can tell you that you know, problems in organizations start at the top. They don't start anywhere else. They mm. they don't start in the mailroom. So whenever I'm whenever I talk about with people, when people call me, I say you know who knows about this? Where did you know who's Who's involved with this? And they'll, if they say, I don't know, I'll say, well, somebody knows, because somebody always knows. Absolutely. And, and don't be looking around the mailroom, and you know, better be looking at the senior, looking in the boardroom, looking where the executives are, because that's where the problem's going to start it out, and that's where the problem's going to be resolved. And, uh, you know, I'm literally right 
all the time there. So there you go, I'm a guru, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move into strategy. Um, so you've been known to say that strategy is a state of mind. It's about other people. Describe what that means, please. Well, you know, ironically, what I really am talking about there is, you know, there's the, the old notion of being empathetic as putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and trying to look at the world from their perspective. Um, I think in most crisis situations, it's impossible to do that because you're, you didn't cause it. But you can be, you can essentially do things and say things um, and advise things that will help people move through the problems more effectively. That's what I really mean. It's essentially being helpful, um, doing things that matter, uh, but that are focused on the issues faced by the individuals who actually are in trouble. So it's, it's a different state of mind. Empathy, you know, Empathy I define as, as essentially actions that speak louder than words. And the same is true for the people I advise. They, in order to demonstrate that they're sincere about solving the problems they're facing, they have to do things that matter to others um, that will make others' lives better, mostly the victims, but also others going forward. So when I talk about the different state of mind of the strategist, this is also recognizing, as I said earlier, recognizing that the individual who's in trouble and who needs the kind of help the strategist can give is looking for something that is different, that is doable, that is achievable, that is gettable, but, you know, is something that is new and unique going forward. So it's, it, this is a state of mind. Uh, it's a way of thinking about things. And the, w the reason this is important is because if we're, if we're totally fixated on what the media is going to do or what some other outside force is going to do, um, we won't be as effective in helping people resolve these problems. And if you're creating victims, remember the rule number one, you know, job number one, stop the production of victims. Mm -hmm. It's your, your goal, first goal. Nice. Okay. And then um, leadership. Uh, you have an opinion between what leadership versus management means. Can you describe to us what those two terms mean? I, I talked about that earlier a little bit, the difference, yeah. between, difference between leadership and management. Um, the leadership is really, you know, leadership is important because, you know, if your organization has no particular, is adrift, is, it has no particular place to go, this is a problem of leadership. And leadership is about essentially focusing on the future and focusing on where, going, where we're going to go, what our new destinations are, you know, the new things we want to accomplish over time. This is one of the reasons why, you know, if you're, if you're meeting with one of these senior people and you're talking about what happened yesterday, you know, they pull out their, their, their iPhone and start looking at their email because they could care less what happened this morning even. You know, they're looking at what's going to happen tomorrow. And this is the big difference. Management is retained and their job is to make today's plan work and to produce 100% of whatever it was that was forecast, not 90%, not even 120%, just 100% to make the plan work. There's a big difference. And, and in order for those managers to be able to work effectively, they need goals and places to get to so they can figure out how to do it. Because the how to do it part is where the strategy comes in. If you know where the goals are and you know what you can do, then the connection between goals and what you can do is the strategy to get there interesting concept when you think of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and earlier in your talk as well, you mentioned um, the term verbal visionary, and we were going to get back to that. So let's dive a little bit deeper into what you mean by verbal visionary. Uh, verbal visionary, uh, and by the way, if someone's interested, you can certainly send, if you, you send me an email, I'll send you a copy of this monograph. Um, but ver being a verbal visionary is about, you know, understanding yourself and understanding 
of what you believe in, what your what your what your um, uh, limits are, those sorts of things. And the reason this is important, and you have to think about these things, is because when you're helping someone whose career is on the line, who is who is whose future is at stake, maybe and as a reputation of the organization, we're not just talking about the newspapers and the media. We're talking about how people got to where they are, you know, how they're going to get out of what they're in and to, you know, move the place forward. And that requires a, 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 a mentality about yourself where essentially you know much more about yourself than just, again, being the function that you represent, HR or uh, some staff function or even outside uh, consultants. Um, I, I, being a verbal visionary is really about understanding how to communicate mostly verbally that's why I call it verbal visionary, because that's how leaders receive information effectively. And there's a, there's a, a series uh, in this document, which I, which I wrote some years ago, um, in this strategy uh, of personal analysis about, you know, what, what is it about you that makes you unique? What are your virtues? What are your values? What are the questions you have about the things that you do? Um, and the reason, again, is because it makes you a different kind of individual uh, that a person with big responsibilities can rely on to ask serious questions because you're a person who is serious about themselves. So this is another state of mind um, that helps you provide the kind of advice and, and give the kind of assistance that these people are looking for. One of the problems with most advisors is that they, they judge their success based on people taking their advice. But when you become a verbal visionary, you're actually, again, learning how to be more helpful to other people from their perspective. Getting your advice taken is not the measure of your success. Ironically and interestingly, being in the room frequently is a better test. You know, I'm, I want people to take my advice. I, I give it seriously, and I hope they'll use it, but it's always the client's decision. But I'm actually more interested in being around a lot and watching these important people make decisions and how this happens. So to me, I'm always telling, teaching people, look, it's not that they did exactly what you told them to do, but it's it, that, that you, you were thought enough of to be invited in to be around and, and consulted for the entire length of this problem from beginning to end. Right, you're trusted, you're in that inner circle. Yeah, that's yeah. uh, true. And, this, and, and again, it, you, you get there because of the unique attributes you have as an individual. That's really what this book is about, these unique attributes that make you valuable. Mm. Wow, uh, that, that's really interesting. Wow, this whole talk is really interesting. I've, I love like interviewing people like you where I can just learn throughout the whole entire process myself. So I know that, I know that the listeners are also gonna love this. Um, okay, so going to career, we have um, tons of our showcase members as well as our broader audience. They're always looking to either go into a new career, maybe they're starting their career, they're getting out of school. How would one get into crisis communications, Jim? Actually, you know, there are lots of ways to, to go. And if someone's interested in it and they can email me, I'll send them a, a blog that I did recently. But, but you know, um, there's lots of opportunities. You know, this, there, we, there are colleges that give degrees in crisis management these days, which kind of amazes me because I wonder, you know, what, what do you know at 22 that would get a CEO to listen to you? But right. the issue really is there are lots of opportunities to volunteer to start with. There's the Red Cross, the Salvation Army. Um, these are places that are highly respected, and they work in emergencies. And you will meet people there who are volunteers like yourself, um, and it's surprising who you meet. Every community in the United States 
has uh, an LAPC, a local emergency planning commission. This happened since 9-11, so that we are uniformly prepared to handle you know, invasions, as a matter of fact, among other things. So, you know, that's a voluntary, that's a voluntary activity. And you will meet business executives, financial people, you'll meet people from all walks of life working in these LEPCs. Um, there's lots of opportunities to get real practical experience uh, in all aspects of crisis work by doing this volunteer work. That's pretty much the way you're going to have to get started because you're not going to hire you to do this work unless you have experience. It's one of those, just one of those things in the circumstance. Um, but and there's also the military. I mean, military is, you know, the, the military is a crisis a second, a crisis a minute. Right, right. Yeah. So if you have that, that's terrific experience if you have the time in your life to, to go into the military and find these things up. Plus you get very specialized training in different kinds of crisis management. So there are lots of opportunities to actually get this done, get started and build a resume of, of uh, useful experiences to help, help you make that leap into this field. But I have to warn you, it's a very crowded field. Um, ever since 9-11, there's just tremendous interest in crisis management. Um, there, there are lots of different certification programs in it these days and that sort of stuff. Um, and if you're in communications, particularly in communications, it's one of those things that so many communicators aspire to that the field is very, very crowded. And it's crowded with a lot of people who don't have much experience. So what I'm telling you today, right at this moment, is really how you can get a leg up on all these other people in very significant ways uh, on a voluntary basis uh, going forward. Hmm. Well, that's great advice. Thank you, Jim. Uh, okay, well, a showcase thought leader, people can contact you through the site. Um, how else would they contact you, Jim? Uh, my email address is easy. J-E-L at E911.com, J-E-L at E911.com. Um, my website is E911.com, www.E911.com. And um, there's, lot, there's hundreds of articles there that, you, that you're free to download in lots of different areas of interest. Um, it's, 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 been after, it's actually been called the University of Crisis Management, um, uh, and it's very, very, a very, very helpful site. You'll also be able to see how to reach me there. I'm available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because that's what crisis people do. And yeah. I love to talk about this stuff, as you can tell. So please call me anytime. And if you want any of the documents that I've talked about in this podcast, just send me an email at jel at e911.com and mention the podcast contents, and I'll send you all the documents we talked about. Well, I for sure want all of them. And Jim, it's been an absolute delight having you on our podcast. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for your time today. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.